Hey Rich Girls, Kirby here and welcome to another episode of Rich Girls Guide. Last week was the first episode in our four-part series on 401ks, where we went over the basics of a 401k and why we need to be saving for retirement. Today is our second episode in the series, Stock Market 101. Before we can make informed decisions on the investments we are holding within our retirement account, we should probably know the basics of how stocks, mutual funds, and just the overall market works so that we can make it work for us. Before we dive in, I want to say a huge thank you for tuning in today. If you find this information helpful and want to support me so that I can make more content for you, please follow wherever you are tuning in right now. And a super quick reminder that you can view these in video format on YouTube and Spotify. Please note, this is not financial advice. This is simply my opinion and should be used for entertainment purposes only. While I know everyone these days already knows what a stock is, let me break it down for those of us that could use a little refresher. A company decides that they need capital, AKA money, to scale up and make themselves even more money. Let's use a homemade soap company as an example. The sole owner has one brick and mortar store that has done really well, and she decides that she wants to open up an online retail store. In order to do that, she needs money to have inventory, to hire someone to bail out the website and handle the shipping and fulfillment. She does not have the cash on hand to fund all of this right at this moment. So she decides to sell part of the ownership in her company to other people in exchange for money so that she can scale up her business. The investors who are paying for part ownership believes that she sells a quality product and that by scaling her business online, she will reach a whole new untapped market and will become even more profitable. If they are right and the business does become more profitable, that means the shares in the company that they bought will go up in value. Let's take a look at some numbers. If her company is valued at $100,000 and she wants to raise $20,000 in capital, cash, that means she will need to sell 20% of her company. She ends up finding four investors who are each willing to pay $5,000 for a 5% ownership stake in her company. She is able to retain 80% ownership and she uses that $20,000 to get her online retail store up and running. The online store does really well, and within a year, the company is worth double the money, $200,000. The investors now have shares worth $10,000 each, even though they only invested $5,000 into the company. They now have the option of holding on to their share of the company in the hopes that it will continue to grow in value, or sell it to another potential investor and make a $5,000 profit. Now, this example is a simplification of how the stocks that you and I own are created. In order for a company to go public, which just means regular investors like you and I can purchase shares of the company through an exchange, there are a lot of hoops the company has to jump through. But the gist of it is exactly the same. 
you, the investor, are paying the company money to own part of their company. If the company does well, the value of the stock will go up. If the company does poorly, the value of the stock will go down. To truly understand how the stock market works, let's bring it way back to 1611. I actually know a bit about the history of the US stock market back from my college days, but I really did not know like the full origin story of the stock market. So when I was Googling, I actually came across this really good article by SoFi. Um, I'll link it in the show notes. And they basically have a whole timeline history of the stock market. So here's just a quick expert of what they have to say about the beginning of it all. Quote, the first modern stock trading market was created in Amsterdam when the Dutch East India Company, bringing me back to Pirates of the Caribbean, was the first publicly traded company. To raise capital, the company decided to sell stock and pay dividends of the shares to investors. Then, in 1611, the Amsterdam Stock Market Exchange was created. For many years, the only trading activity on the exchange was trading shares of the Dutch East India Company. At this point, other companies began creating similar companies and buying shares of stock was popular for investors. The excitement blinded most investors and they bought into any company that became available without investigating the organization. This resulted in financial instability and eventually in 1720, quite a few years later, investors became fearful and tried to sell all their shares in a hurry. No one was buying, however, so the market crashed, end quote. So essentially, this is the very first stock market and the very first stock market crash just over 400 years ago. Now, the modern stock market that we know and love today did not come about in the U.S. until 1903, which is when the New York Stock Exchange officially opened their doors. And at this point, they only held physical stock certificates, what we now refer to as stocks, underground and vaults. So back before the internet, when us old dinosaurs were alive, just kidding, I was born after the internet was invented, barely, companies would give you physical pieces of paper called stock certificates. The certificates would show how many shares of the company you owned, what company you have ownership in, and the date the shares were purchased. If you kept all of your stock certificates in your home and it got robbed or burned to the ground and you lost those physical certificates, it typically meant you lost out on those stocks. It was like you never owned them at all. Although nowadays you can pay a fee for the company to reissue lost certificates because, shocker, some people do still own physical stock certificates. Seen them with my own eyes. I could not find any information about whether or not they used to do this back in the day. I'm just going to say based on the old timiness of it all, I would guess they did not. Now, with the invention of the internet, companies and exchanges were able to start tracking investors digitally, which meant they did not have to issue the physical certificates anymore. It also meant that you could own more stocks without having to worry about losing your certificates. Can you imagine wanting to diversify your portfolio by investing in a hundred different companies and having to keep track of hundreds of physical stock certificates? 
no thank you. So I think we have a good handle on what a stock is. And of course we know what the market is. It's just a place where we can buy and sell stocks from other investors. So let's discuss how the value of a stock can be influenced by the market and not just by the company itself. If you've ever heard of an up day or a down day in the market, that just means that one of the indexes, something that tracks how the market in general is performing, is either higher than the day before an up day or lower than the day before a down day. The top three indexes are the S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and NASDAQ. Each of these indexes track a certain subset of stocks within the overall exchange. And for today's discussion, we are going to focus on the S&P 500, which I believe is most indicative of the entire stock market. The S&P 500 tracks the top 500 stocks in the United States. Think Apple, Amazon, Coca-Cola, basically the companies that make up the largest dollar amount of the stock market. If you have heard the term market capitalization, all that means is the total number of outstanding stock, the number of shares owned by investors, times the current share price. For context, at the time of me saying this on November 29th, Apple is currently trading at $191 a share. That just means if you want to buy one share of Apple, you can go purchase a share from another person who wants to sell their one share and you'll pay roughly $191 for it. Apple currently has roughly 15.6 billion <laughs> outstanding shares. So multiply that by the $191 a share and that brings their market capitalization to roughly $2.9 trillion. So this definitely brings them into the top 500 companies in the United States. As a side note, if you ever want in-depth information on a stock or a mutual fund, you can go to this website, morningstar.com. They have a ton of free information on companies and mutual funds, and they also give out ratings called a Morningstar rating. And that is actually how a lot of people in finance find information about stocks. So if we look at the S&P 500 on the day that I am recording, November 29th, we will see that the index is currently sitting at 4,557. You can do a quick Google search to see where an index is currently sitting. However, I personally love having the Wall Street Journal up on my computer at all times. <laughs> Don't make fun of me. You do not need to subscribe in order to view the indexes. They are always available right at the top of the site. While you don't need to pay too much attention to the actual numbers, I would pay more attention to the color, red or green, and the percentage shown next to the number. So right now the S&P 500 is green, which means it's an up day, and the percentage is 0.07%, meaning it has increased 0.07% since the close of the market yesterday. All that really tells me is Nothing huge has happened in the market. No breaking news about interest rates or government conflict has occurred overnight and everything within the market should be pretty status quo. I would have said the exact same thing if the S&P 500 was red, meaning it was down, but the percentage was still the same, 0.07%. 
that is such a small percentage for the market in general. Even though it would be considered a down day, the needle has not moved enough for me to have any red flags. Now, just because this market index is up today does not mean that all stocks in the market are up. I just Googled stocks that are down today and Disney popped up. It looks like they are down in the red 0.43% so far today. That could be due to a multitude of different reasons. Less people are at the parks leading up to December. They could have some bad press out right now. It could be a number of different things. All of that is to say that the index is just a look at the average of a subset of stocks to give us, the investors, some kind of idea as to how the market is doing. Rather than looking at the daily up or down of the index, I personally prefer to use an index as a way to track how my portfolio is doing. If I go back to the Wall Street Journal and actually click on the S&P 500, it will bring me to this fun little page and it shows me how the index has done over a period of time, which is much more helpful than a minute by minute tracking of the market, in my opinion. I clicked on YTD, which stands for year to date. So this graph is showing me how the S&P has performed from January 1st of 2023, all the way through November 28th, 2023, close of business yesterday. I don't know if you can see that number, it's kind of small, but the percentage change is an increase of 18.63%. That is a solid return for a year. That means that the average increase of the 500 stocks within the S&P 500 is 18.63% as of the market close yesterday. Now, if you look at your portfolio or account performance year to date, you can see how you stacked up. If your return was less than 18.63%, that means the market outperformed your portfolio. If your return was greater than 18.63%, that means you outperformed the market. Now, there are several other factors that you should take into account here. If you are a risk-averse person, meaning you do not like seeing your portfolio go up and down like giant waves, and you would rather see a small little ripple over time, you should not be invested in all stocks, especially risky stocks. And you should not expect to outperform the market during good years, like this year. If you are looking for security and peace of mind, there is nothing wrong with that. But you do have to understand that over time, you are going to receive less of a return. The less risk, the less return over time, generally speaking. You cannot have your cake and eat it too, even though there are a lot of Karens out there thinking otherwise. On the flip side, if you are young and have no reason to be even thinking about taking out your retirement funds for at least a few decades, there is absolutely no reason to not take some risk. Riding those big waves and being rewarded with a higher return later on. Now, of course, the closer you get to retirement, which means the closer you get to needing to take the funds out of the market, the less risky you want to be with your funds. I'm talking going from big waves to smaller waves. And with that, smaller returns. So just because you underperformed the market this year does not necessarily mean you are doing something wrong. You might be a less risky investor or you might be nearing retirement. 
However, if you are neither of those things and you still do not outperform the market, a real possibility for you might be investing in the index itself. The way you do this is by investing in either a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund that tracks a particular index. For example, the Schwab S&P 500 index fund is a mutual fund that is managed by Charles Schwab, a financial services and investment company. A mutual fund is a bundle of different stocks. In this case, the 500 stocks that are within the S&P 500 index. And it's an affordable way for investors to be diversified. Diversified just means owning a wide variety of different types of stocks. Think tech companies, small companies, foreign companies, etc. If you were to try and purchase all of the different stocks within the S&P 500 individually, just one share of each stock within the index, you would need to purchase roughly, just kidding, I Googled it, just a cool $72,000 worth of stock. And on top of that, you would need to keep up with the index to swap out any companies that get removed or added to the list. I'm getting overwhelmed just thinking about it. If instead of owning the individual stocks, you purchased the mutual fund, you could put in as little as $1 and own the exact same thing. The way this works is lots of investors, you and I, pool our money together and we give it to the mutual fund company or the mutual fund manager, in this case, Charles Schwab, and then they use that pooled money to go out and purchase all of the stocks within the index. Now let's go consult with our stock market bestie, Morningstar. I typed in Schwab S&P 500 index fund to pull up the specific mutual fund that I wanted to look at. Again, this is the mutual fund that tracks the S&P 500 index. The first page gives us a ton of great information. If you look down at the bottom, there is no minimum initial investment, which means we can purchase as little as we want into the fund. There's no barrier to entry. Some funds will require a certain amount of money, like $1,000, $2,000, $3,000, that kind of thing. The next thing I want to look at is the internal expense ratio. We can see that is 0.02%. Now, the internal expense ratio is a fee that the mutual fund manager charges for managing the fund. This is not a fee that will show up on your statement, and it is completely separate from any annual account fee or financial advisory fee that you may incur. This is a fee that Charles Schwab is charging to actually manage the entire mutual fund, i.e. keep up to date with the stocks within the index. A normal internal expense ratio can be anywhere from 0.01% all the way up to like 1.25%. So 0.02% is very cheap. If you are looking at a specific mutual fund and the internal expense ratio is inching up closer to the 1% range, that's when you want to do some more digging into whether or not that specific mutual fund is really worth the expense. Real quick, let's also take a look at the performance. You can see year to date, this fund has returned 20.37%. That means the fund outperformed the market which is actually kind of interesting considering it is just supposed to track the index, but you know what? We'll take a couple extra points when we get them. Overall, for a young investor that wants a more hands-off approach, set it and forget it, if you will, this might be a great index fund to look into. 
Okay, there is honestly a lot that I did not get to hit in this episode, but it is running a little bit long at this point. So if you want another episode on the market, let's call it Stock Market 201, let me know. Otherwise, we're gonna dive headfirst into evaluating your fund options within your 401k on next week's episode. Real quick, so at the end of this four-part series, we are going to do a Q&A episode, um, and it's actually going to drop on Christmas Day, just this is how the scheduling kind of works out. Um, so I want that to be kind of a more fun, relaxed episode, but I need your questions, so send me your questions. Comment on YouTube, shoot me a DM, send me an email. I have um, an anonymous link in the show notes. Let me know what your 401k questions are so that I can answer them in the Q&A episode at the very end of this series. All right, actually, really quick, I lied. So one quick thing, I just have to tell you guys this quick story. When I first started out in wealth management, I had never heard the terms bull market or bear market. I, I had no idea what that was. I don't know if I like missed that day in class or if that was just something that we were like expected to know like as finance people, um, but I had never heard those terms. I did not know what they were. And I started working in my wealth management office and I thought it was so strange that a lot of the people in the office either had like artwork or like little statues of bears. Bears, beats, Battlestar Galactica. And bulls, like there were just a lot of bulls and bears around. And I thought it was odd, but I didn't really think anything of it. I, I didn't want to ask. And finally, and I'm so glad I asked this one advisor, I asked one of my uh, female advisors that had been in the business forever. She had this little holder for her business cards, a little business card holder. And on one side it had a bull and on one side it had a bear and she would switch around. So sometimes it would be on a bull, sometimes it'd be on a bear. And so I asked her one day, I was like, hey, can I ask you like a really weird question? What, like, what's up with the bears and the bulls? Like, why does everybody have these like bulls in their office? And she laughed her <laughs> off. <laughs> She's like, have you never heard the term like bear market and bull market? And I was like, no, like, should I have? Um, I'm sure some of you are like, wow, this I feel that way now, but if you hear the term bear market and bull market, this is all you need to know. Bear market, bear sleeping, hibernating, that means the market is down, okay? Usually for like an extended period of time. Market is down, it is sleeping, it is hibernating. If it's a bull market, okay, it's it's bullets charging forward, it's, it's jumping up, it's alert, it's on top. Bull market, going up, bear market, going down. I'm just letting you guys know so you don't end up like me. <laughs> the more you know. If you know someone who could use a kick in the pants, please feel free to send them this episode. If you have any questions, you can comment on YouTube. And if you want your question to be featured on an upcoming episode, ask away at the link in the show notes. Keep it rich and see you next Monday.